I'm just grateful to continue our series in friendship this evening. Uh, I hope that uh, you've found these past two weeks uh, helpful. I know that I have. Uh, I pray that you too have been convinced and convicted of the importance of friendship and the importance of good friends. We've seen so clearly in these just even two weeks uh, that friendship is so much more than you or I often think. Our friends are far more influential to us and have a far greater impact on us than we ever give them credit until they pay for something that we want, like hot chicken or boba or something. Uh, These past two weeks, we've been thoroughly challenged toward pursuing good friendships. But tonight, the question is, how exactly uh, do we begin to form the kind of life-giving friendships that have our sorrows and double our joys? Uh, Where do we go from here in this series and in life? Well, tonight I want to speak to you candidly and practically about cultivating friendship. I'd venture to guess in a room like this uh, that we're all over the map. I think there's some of you who uh, think, at least, that you have lots and lots of good friendships. Others of you, maybe a little bit more modestly, think at least you have a few good friendships. And then others of you may be struggling in this. Even this series has been difficult for you because you don't think you have many friendships in general or at least many or any good friendships. Now, no matter where you're at, we all, everyone in this room, we all have one thing in common tonight. And that one thing is what would make our friendships better. That one thing is what would transform our testimony to our unsaved friends. That one thing is the nagging feeling in this series for you. Or maybe you've swept it under the rug. And that one thing is the fact that we all could be better friends to others. Whether right now you're convinced of that or not for your own life. My goal tonight is to challenge you to be a better friend to others around you. And then it's to show you what the Bible says about how to be a more faithful friend. I want to show you tonight from God's word that cultivating healthy, helpful, God-glorifying friendships is all about you and I being the kind of friend God has called us to be. You see, the very kind of good friends that we should want, according to the Bible, we must first be. Trusting that in God's design and in his purpose and in his time even, as we live to the benefit of others around us as a faithful friend, that not only we'll be able to cultivate fruitful friendships, but that through friendship we will also be tilling the soil for so much more of what God might be doing in our lives and in the lives of our friends. I want to show you tonight what the Bible has to say about how to be a faithful friend. So let's look at five steps to becoming a faithful friend. You could also call it five steps to cultivating friendship. The first of those steps is to embrace the selflessness 
found in the gospel. Embrace the selflessness found in the gospel. I want you to think of the last time that you played Battleship. You know, the game you used to play as a kid, and maybe you just played it with your kid cousin or at Valley Game Night. Battleship. You get your foldable little battle station, I get mine, and we get the colored little pegs, depending on what era. It's either white and red or green and red. And they're oh so satisfying to put into the board before you even start playing. And we all know how Battleship goes, right? You sit across from your friend. You spend the whole game trying to peek and blame it on them for showing where their ships are. And then you guess using coordinates. Battleship, a a simple concept with a profound ability to get us hyped. When you play Battleship, the main thing that you're thinking the whole time is about where your ships are and if they'll be safe. Yes, you're trying to attack your friend's ships, but you are worried about your ships and you're wondering why you thought it was a good idea again to put them all in the corner. (laughs) And you're also thinking about how battleship, there isn't a way that you can do anything to actually protect them. So much of our approach to friendships is like this battleship mentality. You see, as you are dialed in in this season on your career and enjoying this season of life and maybe dating and your spiritual growth, the way that you and I ordinarily engage in friendship is centered on where your ships are in life and how you can protect them. Often our main concern with our friendships is with how we feel, what we need, what we'd like to say, how others are treating us, how we can benefit from a friendship, even how we can look good by how good of a friend we are. If we're honest, friendship, like battleship, is all about us. As we begin to think about cultivating friendship, we've got to start at the baseline level, how the gospel informs our approach to friendship. You see, in the gospel, we find life. We are born again. In the gospel, we are saved by grace through faith. In the gospel, you and I are reconciled to God. All beautiful truth that changes our lives. And in the gospel... It is also that we are called by our Savior to follow him in discipleship. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Crossroads to follow Christ is total upheaval of our worldly values. The gospel calls us to radical selflessness, uh, emptying of any self-worth, complete self-abandonment, and all to follow Jesus. 
This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 3 when he says, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, our existence is no longer about us, but about Christ. And as we learn to love and obey him, we see it's also about loving others. And so if you want to be a faithful friend, you must first embrace the radical selflessness that you were called to in the gospel. Because the gospel is a call to follow our Savior in the pattern of his selfless saving work. And that applies to all of life. And as we'll see tonight, including and especially friendship. This kind of selflessness will be a picture to your unsaved friends of the selfless love of Christ. This kind of selflessness will transform your Christian friendships, producing peace and patience, thoughtfulness and tenderness. Christian love that is a testimony and a treasure. And that brings us to our second step, to being a faithful friend. And that's cultivate a love for others. Cultivate a love for others. As we consider how to be a faithful friend, we must not only change our course from self to others, we must also purposefully cultivate a love for others. We must not only put off our selfishness, we must put on a selfless Love for others. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4. We'll look at a familiar passage. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, and then drop down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Friends, we know the love of God in Christ. And this love is a love that transforms us, that compels us to love others in the same way. In fact, from this passage and from elsewhere in the New Testament, we see it's the mark of a true Christian to love others. Uh, Turn to John 13 with me. Consider Jesus' words in the matter. John 13. John 13, verse 34. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
These are Jesus' words, our Savior's words. And Jesus himself was the greatest example of this kind of love. In John 15, he says this, and this is a verse we'll look at in depth next week, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he did just that. He laid down his life for his friends. And so as we consider how to, to cultivate friendship, this is the kind of love that we must have, an affection for others that is reflective of this limitless love of Christ. Paul says it this way in Philippians 1, God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is what makes Christian friendship unique from the world. We have, by God's grace, the distinct advantage of knowing the greatest love ever, the love of God in Christ. And it's in that love that we can cultivate a love for our friends. And in cultivating this love, this isn't just something that we conjure up on our own, that we got to work up in our hearts. This is a love that must find its source in God. It's a love that we should pray for. It's a love that we should ask God for growth in. Catch Paul's heart in this. Just listen to 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12 and it's Paul's prayer. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And then Philippians 1.9, he says a similar thing. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Friends, our love is rooted in and given by God, so we should ask him for it. Ask him for love for our friends and love for new friends. It's God's love, and we reflect it. We live it out. And so this isn't just a feel-good, love-how-you-want kind of love. This is a love that is defined by God and therefore counterintuitive to the world's kind of love. It's a love that Romans 12 is genuine, honors others, seeks peace. It's a faithful love. Consider Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. It's an earnest love that is from a pure heart, 1 Peter 1, 22. And it's a love that covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. It's Colossians three fourteen, a love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, and we need to just look at this a landmark passage on love and be reminded yet again of its truth. 1 Corinthians 13, look at verse 4. You know this passage. It's so helpful to think of in the context of friendship. Love is patient and kind. Love does not love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the top of the next verse, love never ends. As a faithful friend, that's the kind of love we are called to have for our friends. And of course, this is the love that we are to have for one another in the church. But I believe that this kind of love can and should be extended to our unsaved friends as well. The people in our lives who don't yet know Christ aren't just incomplete projects. They're people. We must genuinely, patiently, fervently love them with the love of Christ. Imagine the effect of a patient Christ-like love on a fellow image bearer. A love that indeed believes the best thing that could possibly happen to them is that they come to know Christ. But it's a love that applies itself in a trust in the saving and sanctifying power of God. A love that sees the things that you want to fix about the person and yet that humbly knows that even that will be subject to the Spirit of God if they come to know Christ. It's a love, yes, that preaches the gospel. Yes, it's a love that uses words because they are necessary. It's a love that is bold with a gospel boldness. But it's a kind of love that patiently exists for the ultimate benefit of that unsaved friend. It's a lifestyle of love that holistically believes in and faithfully points to the great benefit of knowing Christ. It's a love that is willing to faithfully walk through life's trials and troubles without jumping on every small thing. It's a love that pushes us to open up our own lives in like kind. And in a far more faithful and patient way than we usually would think. All so that they can see the love of Christ. We must, Crossroads, by the power of the Spirit working in our lives, cultivate a love for our friends, a testimony of the love of Christ to the non-believer, and a demonstration of true brotherly affection for all in the household of God. As a faithful friend, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. It brings us to a third step, and if we thought we were getting away from love, we can't just yet. The third step is live out your love for others. Live out your love for others. We all have a friend who collects things, who's a collector of shiny objects, of Colorful objects, you name it, cheap objects, expensive things. You may actually be that friend. Coins, fountain pens, coffee mugs, paper clips, watches, who knows? There's one offensive question that you could ask 
this friend if you wanted to offend them or maybe just joke with them to, to help your friendship. <laughs> and that question is, when are you going to actually use those? <laughs> Ouch. In our quest to become a faithful friend, it's not enough to cultivate and collect love in our hearts devotionally or privately. We must devote ourselves to actually living out our love. We must actually use that. Exercise our love. Love must overflow into our actions, into our very lives, into our interactions and conversations, our schedules, our priorities. We must choose to consistently exercise our love. And now in God's kindness, all throughout the New Testament, we have so much help and instruction for living out our love as a faithful friend to others. There's what we call the one another's, 59 or so of them. Phrases marked by that one Greek word that is two English words, one another, that mark our responsibility of love for one another. And then there's a whole wide variety that don't include that phrase, but are instructions and themes or even entire sections or entire books that help us see how to live out our love for our friends. And so there are a lot of ways that we could approach this, but tonight I want to focus on three actions that sort of encapsulate and span across at the same time all of our responsibilities to love one another, how we can live out our love for others. And so the first of those three is, if you want to be a faithful friend, you must learn to give. You must learn to give. If friendship is marked by radical selflessness and Christian love, then in friendship, you must give. You must give of yourself your time, your attention, maybe your money or your resources. You must give of honor or credit that may rightfully be yours. You must give up your preferences or your self-satisfaction. A faithful friend gives freely and generously. Now I understand in a world of net worth and self-worth and investment gurus on TikTok and early retirement, uh, this is a radical concept. Uh, that because you are a follower of Jesus, that you would give of yourself to benefit others, and not just as a tax-deductible donation for the day, but as a lifestyle of giving of yourself, whatever it is that it might take to serve someone else, that's what we're called to. To give. The simple basis for this kind of giving, we've already talked about tonight, it's our Savior's own giving. Even unto death. 1 Timothy 2.5. We kind of skip over these phrases when we read them, but this is what this is. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself 
as a ransom for all. Ephesians 5.25 is another one. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or in John 10, when Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. You see, built into the very fabric of our faith is the truth that Jesus selflessly and sacrificially gave himself up for us. And the Bible is crystal clear that this is an example for us to follow. We were in 1 John earlier. Just listen to 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And the second half of the verse, catch this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The logic is simple. If you want to be a faithful friend, you must be willing to give. And you must give like Christ. When you, Ephesians 4, 32, forgive one another, you are giving of your right to hold something over your friend. When you love one another earnestly from a pure heart, 1 Peter 1, you give of yourself emotionally and effort-wise. When you agree with one another and live in peace, 2 Corinthians 13 or Romans 15, 5, you live in harmony with one another. You are giving up your entitlement to your opinions and preferences for the sake of peace. When Galatians 5, 13, through love you serve one another, you are giving up your time or your opportunities or maybe your priorities, all for the sake of your friends. Crossroads, as a faithful friend, you must cultivate a heart ready to give. A heart ready to give in anticipation of someone else's need. A heart ready to give without expecting anything in return. A heart ready to give with a generosity reflective of our Heavenly Father, who is the giver of all good gifts. And so a faithful friend gives A faithful friend gives. Second action, as we consider how to live out our love as a faithful friend, is that we must listen. We must grow in our ability and in our willingness to open our ears and listen. How can we care for one another? How can we bear one another's burdens or comfort one another, or pray for one another well, unless we are keenly aware of each other's actual struggles, each other's sorrows, each other's burdens, each other's needs. In becoming a more faithful friend, we must listen and seek to understand one another. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. I know a peculiar place to turn for a friendship sermon, but hang with me. Exodus 2. This is right after uh, the birth of Moses and God's people, Israel, are still in the land of Egypt and God's people are stuck in slavery. Exodus 2, look at verse 23. 
During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Here in this passage, God hears the groaning of his people and remembers his promise to deliver them. He later in Exodus gives them rest and reprieve from their suffering. Uh, But notice here in this passage, the transfer of action here is built around the fact that God is listening to the cries of his people. There's a similar idea all over the Psalms, but just listen to Psalm 5 to get a taste. Uh, Give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Psalm after Psalm. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. In Exodus and in the Psalms and in the prophets and in many places in between, we hear the same cry of God's people, corporate and individual, rooted in the expectant faith that God hears his people. That in whatever situation, God will incline his ear and faithfully act in his loving kindness. When's the last time you talked to someone who wasn't really listening to you? Some of you guys just look to the person next to you, and I think that's hilarious. Maybe they're on their phone, like I just was. There's no good scores to check tonight, don't worry. Or the person's attention was just across the room the whole time. Maybe there's somebody they're interested in across the room. Or maybe it's just the kind of person you can't keep in front of you. They're just so, how do I put it kindly, frenetic and just energetic. God is never like that. It's for free tonight. He he listens ever presently. He's faithfully listening, hearing our cries. We can confidently echo the psalmist in Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. God hears us. And so we can respond like the psalmist does in praise. Because to be heard is to be cared for, to be seen. To be lent an ear is to be understood and identified with. And with God, the perfect holy God, to be heard is to know his steadfast and sovereign love. And friends, that is exactly Why, as we consider how to be a faithful friend, that we must listen. To even reflect a tiny bit of God's listening presence to us. 
would, be, would bring strength and warmth and depth to our friendships. Because to listen is to begin the process of care and concern and love with the person talking to us. To listen is to not jump to judgment or rush to correct someone's perception of their experience. Uh, to listen is to store up consideration and context for our love. You see, when we listen, we begin to manifest the same care for one another as God has for us. Uh, The same listening and comforting presence. And it is when we listen that we build trust. And then we have an opportunity to minister to our friends that much more helpfully because of what we've heard. And so a faithful friend listens. Finally, in third action here of how we can live out our love, a faithful friend also speaks. A faithful friend speaks. Now, when we think about speaking, I think we rightfully think of the use of our tongues mainly as an area of life that we must tame. It's a self-control issue. There's a cleanliness is next to godliness vibe about how we think about our speech. And you would be right. Indeed, we must control our tongues and reflect the holiness of God in our speech. We shouldn't cut our friends down with our words or speak untruth about them or to them. Amen and amen. But as we seek to cultivate friendships, we must see that our speech is so much more than just something to stifle. The Bible talks of the value of words used well in interpersonal interaction. I think of Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another with these words. And then chapter 5, and build one another up. Uh, Here we're helping anchor each other's hearts on truth with our words. Or I think of Ephesians 4.15, against the influence of every wind of doctrine, Paul calls it in that passage, we are to speak the truth in love in the lives of our friends. Or think about Proverbs 27, 6, about correction or rebuke. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Or Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Crossroads, we are to use our words positively in ways that build up in ways that encourage, in ways that minister to our friends. Now, I think that all of us from time to time are convicted of uh, how we use our words. But it's usually because we think about how we use our words and we regret saying something. Or we think about how we use our words and we think about how we talk too much about ourselves. Well, what if, in pursuit of being a more faithful friend, 
we begin to think about and to pray about our words, not only as daggers needing to be restrained, but as little messengers of grace toward others. What if we begin to speak fewer words about ourselves and our opinions and we begin to speak more warmly and humbly and begin to ask more questions of others to draw out what was on their hearts? What if we encouraged more and followed up on our last conversations better and challenged one another more? What if we warned each other of the deceitfulness of sin more faithfully? But what if we affirmed others more generously, all with our words? Well, I believe, simply from the perspective of our speech, Crossroads, that we would, as Ephesians 4 says, make the body grow up so that it builds itself, itself up in love. In our endeavor to be more faithful friends, Let's develop new channels of communication in our speech, new abilities and a new willingness to use our words in ways that benefit others. Let's expand our vocabulary, so to speak. Let us, as we cultivate friendships, speak. A faithful friend gives, a faithful friend listens, and a faithful friend speaks. Well, in this pursuit of becoming a more faithful friend, you could have grown in and begun to do all of this faithfully. You could have embraced selflessness, cultivated love, and begun to live that out. But what do you do when that's not enough? What do you do when others aren't responsive to you in the way that you'd hoped? What do you do when your efforts aren't reciprocated? Or when the person you're trying to befriend is mean to you or rejects you? What do you do when you're ignored or laughed at or skipped over or offended? What do you do when you've followed the recipe and the cake doesn't turn out here? Well, most often in our pride and self-centeredness, we think that a friendship isn't panning out or producing the way we'd expect because of the other person. Because after all, friendships are meeting halfway, right? Friends, we are called to a steadfastness in our love that quells the expectations we quietly hold over other people in these moments. And that brings us to our fourth step to cultivating friendship, and that's to extend grace generously. Extend grace generously. As we seek to be an ever more faithful friend to others, and we navigate the sometimes murky waters of friendship and failure as those who have been generously given grace by God in salvation and in a multiplicity of other ways, we must extend grace in our friendships 
Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Just look at one verse, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's extending grace as you've been shown grace. In Titus, this is what, Ty, what Paul says is perfect courtesy toward all people. A courtesy that adorns the doctrine of God. Uh, This is again Romans 12, but now verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When friends fail you, the faithful friend responds humbly, patiently, and graciously. Now, in our, friend, in our friendships with unbelievers, I believe this kind of graciousness is absolutely crucial. You see, when we live out a fervent and faithful love, and we forgive in response to sin or flakiness or failure on the part of our unsaved friend, our unsaved friend sees firsthand in your friendship a reflection of what it's like to have a friend in Jesus. And so it's a witness, but it's also worship. Because in every extension of grace, it's an acknowledgement of what God has done and continues to do in our lives graciously. We need his grace. And so who are we to hold it back from others when the going gets tough? Now for believers, it's part and parcel of the fellowship we have. That's literally what that word means, fellowship. It's a shared participation in the grace found in Christ. And so it's with that common bond and a common understanding of the gracious dealings of our God with us that gives us a basis for how we can graciously deal with one another, with all our friends, saved and unsaved. Let's install some patience and forbearance, some empathy and understanding that comes early and stays late. Forgiveness and mercy, as we've been shown, forgiveness and mercy. A faithful friend generously extends grace. Now our last step to becoming a faithful friend is this. Hold friendship up to the light of eternity. Hold friendship up to the light of eternity. In this life, as we make our way to the celestial city, arm in arm with our friends and encountering new friends along the way, we must hold friendship up to the light of eternity. As a faithful friend to others here on this earth, We must tread lightly and hold every friendship with an open hand. 
Knowing that in eternity, even the dearest of earthly friendships will pale in comparison to the joy of being in the presence of our greatest friend, Jesus. You see, eternity is a safeguard for us from idolizing friendship, too. Or from becoming jealous of others in our desire to feel wanted or supported. It's a safeguard from us slipping into a sort of possessiveness about friendship. Like Paul, whose example we could look at if we had time. When he didn't know what would happen to Epaphroditus. Or when he had to say goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Or when he pleaded for Onesimus. We also ought to be commending and trusting encouraging and always trusting the Lord with what he is doing in our friendships. With full confidence in the nearness of eternity that will be in the presence of our greatest friend, Jesus, we ought to now, here on this earth, eagerly entrust our friends to the watchful care of God and encourage them into friendship with others around us as well knowing God's sovereign hand will guide and protect and keep always. You see, understanding friendship in light of eternity gives us rest and hope in what God is doing in and amongst those who are his. Well, there's one final way to live out our love that I skipped over earlier. One more Action, one more way that we can faithfully live out our love to our friends. And it also happens to be the primary way that we can entrust our friendships to God. It's to pray. A faithful friend prays. A faithful friend prays that we would be of help and benefit and of use by God in other people's lives. We should pray that our friendships would be strengthened. We should pray that our unsaved friends would see the love of Christ and come to know him because of our friendship in some way. We should pray that our saved friends would be formed more into the image of Christ because of our friendship with them. If we could have some part by God's grace. We should pray that in our ministry here at our church, that friendship would be a venue for the glory of Christ. And so to become a faithful friend, we must take all of this and all of these, our friends, and entrust it all to God. That we must pray 